I'm Titi. And I'm Zakia. And from Spotify, this is Dope Labs. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Essentia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Welcome to Dope Labs, a weekly podcast that mixes hardcore science, pop culture, and a healthy dose of friendship. So last week, we talked all about how the landscape of fashion and e-commerce and shopping has changed completely. Yes, but there was an aspect of this that we touched on very lightly that we knew that we needed to dig into in today's lab. And that is the idea of sustainability in fashion. So let's get into the recitation. All right, so what do we know? One thing that I know from a McKinsey study that I read is that clothing production from the year 2000 to the year 2014 has doubled. Mm. What we also know is that a lot of the clothes that we purchase aren't made in the U.S. Right. A lot of it is coming from China. And China actually accounts for 30% of world apparel. Wow. So we know we have a huge clothing industry. Uh There's a lot of clothes being made. People are buying way more, I guess, pieces or garments per person than they used to. How do we take all of that and make it tie into sustainability? How do we shift what's going on? That's a great question. Another thing I think we want to know is what's happening when the life of your clothing comes to an end? What are folks doing with their old clothes? And if we are generating waste from clothes, what is happening to it? Well, I know the global population hasn't doubled or increased 60% to match production or purchasing power that we see. So I want to know when we got so greedy, you know, what's happening? If we're all buying so much more clothing, are we just hoarding it? Are we hanging on to it? Are we turning it over quicker? Is it wearing out? I have questions. Okay, so we've talked about fast fashion. I want to know what is the opposite of fast fashion and how can we make things better for our global community? We're really focusing on ourselves as consumers. Right. But what are the companies doing? Because at 68 garments a person, 
there's only so much impact I can make, you know? Right. It kind of has to start at the top too. They have to be doing the right things and doing them ethically before it even gets to us for us to really have a major impact. That's right. And then what about accessibility to everyone? It seems like sustainable fashion is on the tip of everyone's tongue these days. Yes. But does everybody have access to these things? Let's get into the dissection. Today's guest expert is Drew Heifetz. What's up, guys? My name is Drew Heifetz. I'm the owner of Frankie Collective, and I have a couple other companies called F as in Frank Vintage and The Rag Machine. Frankie Collective is an online retailer that sells vintage and reworked clothing. So what that means is we take secondhand and vintage clothing that typically would end up in the landfill or discarded or wherever it ends up, most of the time the landfill, and we cut it and re-sew it into new clothing to give it a second life, maybe update the fit, update the style, and bring it back. Another name for reworked clothing is upcycling or upcycled clothing. And Frankie Collective estimates that they have saved or upcycled 65,000 pounds of clothes every year. That's a lot of clothes. That's probably more clothes than is in like Mariah Carey's closet. I'm really hoping we can help our listeners visualize what we mean when we say upcycling and specifically upcycling the way Frankie Collective does it. Mm-hmm. They're taking old clothes and making them like brand new and not just brand new, but unlike anything you would see in the store. So you're getting something that almost feels one of a kind. So let's rewind a little bit here, because I think to really understand why Frankie Collective is doing this, you have to kind of have an overview of the environmental impact of fashion, starting with your closet. How often do you do like a clear out of your closet? You know, a couple of years back was at the beginning of the pandemic. Marie Kondo was I felt like she was in my house, okay? <laughs> she needs to come to mind. She was not there, okay? <laughs> She's not a friendly. She's not welcome in my home. <laughs> I was saying goodbye to so many things. I was having little conversations. Listen, I appreciate you, shirt. You served your purpose, and I'm, I'm grateful for you. But your time is done. You must go. Thank you. I think each season, I kind of go through this purging process. But you also know, TT, that I move a lot. Yeah, my friend (laughs) cannot stay in one place. She loves to be moving out of a place and moving in, it seems. (laughs) Yes, and so, you know, just by that process, I'm purging quite a bit and going through things. I know that some people do like different things with their clothes. There's things where you can like sell your clothes. I would just take bags to Goodwill. What happens to that stuff? I'm always looking to see, does somebody have on my outfit that I donated? Like, (laughs) what, what happens to it? I put my thing in that drop box and it's just kind of like out of sight, out of mind. I'm like, those clothes disappeared. Most of our clothing gets donated. Everyone knows those bins you donate in. It's like Salvation Army bin or wherever they are. Or you can drop it at the back of a thrift store, right? This is where the public perception gets blurry because we typically think that all those clothes we're donating goes right into that thrift store and gets sold. In reality, I think it's only something like 5 or 10% of what we donate goes into those thrift stores. Yeah, according to the EPA, about 84% of our clothing ends up in incinerators and landfills. They get so much more clothing than they can actually process or that the public can consume. 
And also, they don't want to put out dirty things, stained things, ripped things. People donate one leg of a jean, you know? They're just like, what do I do with this? Then I'm really curious about how these clothes end up in landfills. Like, what is the process for my donation? Who's judging them and saying, mm, Zakia brought us this, not good enough. This is trash. <laughs> yeah. That's rude. Drew says that many places that accept clothing donations will send unwanted clothing to facilities that will sort and package it by size and then sell the packages by the pound to international markets where it can be resold. Pakistan, India, Africa have huge street markets where they sell primarily American and European secondhand clothing. Pop culture is so based in America. People, people watch American movies and TV shows and they want those brands that they're seeing in, on TV and the movies and all these things. But again, a huge portion of that stuff, like in this whole process, just gets tossed because it doesn't fit the grade that people want. It's damaged, whatever happens. They put them in these huge thousand pound bales, compressed clothing, and they go to landfill. And there's whole clothing landfills in Africa that are like taking up massive amounts of space. And then tons of it goes to American landfills. The Council for Textile Reporting estimates that the average U.S. citizen throws away or donates 70 to 80 pounds of clothing and other textiles annually. 70 to 80 pounds every year. How many pairs of jeans is that? And it says other textiles too. So that's like towels. towels. Let's do the math. 84% of 75 pounds of donated clothing. That's 63 pounds of clothing that I thought was getting resold at a thrift store, but it's probably sitting in a landfill somewhere. And that's really sobering to think about. What are some of the alternate things we can do with the clothes we don't want to use anymore? Especially now that I know they're going to the landfill. You're much better off giving your clothes to a friend who's going to use it. Or if you have kids' clothes, like give it to a expecting mom, whatever it is, because at least you know that it's most likely going to get used and passed on and not end up in landfill. Yeah, so sometimes I do that with my sisters. Like if I have stuff that I'm like, okay, I've worn this once or twice and I don't want it anymore or I bought this thing. It's really nice, but it wasn't the right size. I might ask my little sister, hey, what do you think of this? And I'll give it to her so she can have it. Also, you can donate to local shelters or nonprofit organizations yes. in your neighborhood. So how do we accumulate all of these clothes in the first place? When you think about donating 60 or 70 pounds of clothes, that means you had to get at least 60 to 70 pounds of clothes. So that goes back to a lot of what we were talking about with Dr. Khan, how we shop is kind of changing. And we wanted to get Drew's perspective on fast fashion and what it is. First of all, it's driving down prices so, so deeply discounted that they can just have people buy and buy and not be concerned with the amount of waste they're creating. Quality gets compromised, which means that you end up throwing these things out after two, three, maybe one wear. They're putting out new stuff so fast, so fast, you know, weekly basis, daily basis. Typically, when we look at fashion from a historic perspective, companies would have seasonal collections. This is my spring collection. This is my summer collection. This is my fall collection. Now it's like, this is Monday's drop. This is Tuesday's drop. This is Wednesday's drop. This is Thursday's drop. And you're like, okay, you're coming at me so fast. You know, and I think the question becomes, what's the opposite, right? Right. How do we slow down this train? How do I still look good, but... Right. Is slow fashion a thing? I think it kind of is. Slow fashion to me would be brands where you could buy something and you can guarantee that they're going to last you. You know, maybe something that has a lifetime warranty that they'll fix it for you if, if it doesn't stand up to your standards. 
or a brand where the clothing is built to last you a few years. So it's like you can go buy one pair of pants that you know is going to like hold up for like three, four years or two years, or you could buy 10 pairs of fast fashion pants, right? And in the end, you would spend less on the one good pair than the 10 cheap pairs, even though in the moment you're like, well, I only paid 30 for those jeans. And it feels like some brands are trying to right the ship. One that I've seen is like Universal Standard, and they are super size inclusive. And they even have a program where if you order things and let's say your weight changes or your size changes within a year, they will ship you the size you want. Like you can ship it back. They will exchange the sizes for Mm. you. I think there's also been a push by folks on Instagram who have been talking about capsule collections. And that's something that I really am kind of into. It's like, these are the things that I'm going to wear. I have, you know, a good pair of black jeans, a pair that I know I can go to, not like, oh, this doesn't look right. It kind of fits, but sometimes, you know how that is. Yeah, I've seen people do that. And one of the people that I follow, she has like a clothing rail. And those are like her staple things. Like she's like, I always have a nice jean jacket. These are my staple blue jeans. This is Mm -hmm. a blazer that I really like. Yes. This is a button down shirt that I really like. And so she has like eight or nine pieces that she loves that are really good quality. So then you're not really buying for the trends. If leopard is in, you may accessorize Mm -hmm. with leopard, you Mm -hmm. know, or you may do something like that, but you don't find yourself moving through each season you're now I gotta get polka dot pants now it's time for boot cut jeans which are those back I saw somebody wearing low-rise jeans and I felt like I could weep no way will I ever go back I like my jeans to fit like a turtleneck In addition to the efforts on the consumer side around like, you know, capsule collections and just buying things that really fit. Yeah. You know, we're seeing a lot more marketing, like the little green leaf mm-hmm. brands saying that they are selling us clothing that's sustainable or ethically sourced. And ethically sourced means that the workers, the people that are making the clothing are not in environments that are unsafe, this non-sweatshop situation, and that like if they're working with anything that has to do with like dye or chemicals, that they have the right personal protective equipment or PPE to do their job safely. So when you actually break it down, something that is sustainable means we can do it forever and ever and ever and ever, and the resources for that are never gonna be depleted and it will keep replenishing itself, right? I don't think any of it is sustainable. I don't think the whole industry, I don't think what we're doing to a degree is completely sustainable. You know, there's always some kind of waste and there's always something that's not perfect. Some people in the clothing industry are trying to steer away from using the term sustainability. And a lot of environmental scientists and researchers are encouraging them to do so. The sustainable term is a blanket term where everyone's like, ooh, that sounds great. That's cool. Maybe I'll buy that. That doesn't say anything. Right. And then when you break it down, like you said, into sustainably sourced or organic or non-toxic dyeing or all the other things that people use, that kind of gets more specific. And I think that's probably a better way to go. You know, I really like that more of a spectrum of sustainability. Yeah. So even if you can't upcycle or rework or trade old clothing, Mm -hmm. there are things you can do from the jump to increase its life cycle. Right. I had all these old sweatshirts and recently I was like, okay, I need to get rid of some of these sweatshirts. Zakia, you know, (laughs) I own what feels like mountains of sweatshirts. I, I wear sweatshirts all year round. 
And so I decided I wanted to get rid of some of them. And so I was like, okay, what can I do? I know that, you know, after talking to Drew, that donating them probably isn't the right thing to do. So I went on Twitter and I asked, you know, I have all these old clothes. What should I do with them? And someone suggested that I just cut them up and use them as like cleaning supplies. So like stuff that I can use to like dry off dishes, you know, to like clean windows or clean floors. And I thought that that was such a great idea. And so it's cool to imagine a second or third or fourth life for your clothes when you're finishing wearing them. We just all have to be looking to produce less waste and think about the things we're doing in every facet of our lives all the time. Well, we're going to take a break, but there's a lot more to come, including how the global labor shortage is affecting the fashion world and some surprising news about those popular clothing rental services, too. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. We're back and we've been talking with Drew Heifetz, the owner of Frankie Collective, about fashion and how to be more eco-conscious consumers of clothing. And we can't really have this conversation without talking about access. Mm -hmm. Because that's also a big factor in making the right decisions for ourselves, you know? So true. If I have to drive across town to get where the more ethically sourced clothing is, that's already putting it out of bounds for me. Mm -hmm. That's already a barrier. What if I don't have a car? And if I do have a car, am I concerned about contributing to pollution in another way? And the elephant in the room that we're not talking about... Mm -hmm is that often organic or responsibly sourced clothing is more expensive. Mm -hmm. These are all these different filters you have to assess your decisions through. This is just like what we were talking about when we talked about food mm -hmm. and about access to healthy food. Like if it's so expensive, then only certain groups of people of a certain status have access to it. The system has to change where doing the right thing is the same price, right? Where it's the same for everyone and everyone has accessibility to it. Like Drew said, accessibility is so important. And that goes for accessibility to information too. The more we know about our clothing and where and how it's made, the better equipped we are to make choices about what we wear. One thing that a lot of people don't know about clothing fabric is that a lot of our clothing contains plastic. And through the degradation of our clothes, whether it's through washing or wherever our clothes end up, if we aren't reusing them, it introduces tiny particles into our environment called microplastics. Microplastics are a huge problem, right? When we wash our clothes, microplastics come off any synthetic. So basically fleece, polyester, nylons, these 
products are made of petroleum plastic-based materials and then they shed these tiny particles. The particles go get washed out into the ocean eventually through our system. They're too small. This is kind of like a out of sight, out of mind problem that not a lot of people think about or know about. We as <laughs> humans on this planet use a lot of plastic. Yes. There's plastic in everything. There's plastic in our clothes. There's plastic in everything that's around us. And so that creates a lot of plastic waste. And the thing about plastic is that it doesn't degrade. It lives forever, essentially. Mm. And so that creates a problem with the environment because we're putting these things in landfills. There's a lot of plastic that goes into our wastewater and that wastewater makes its way out to the ocean. And then as we talked about with Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson in Lab 28, that water evaporates, goes into the sky and then rains down upon us. And I think the thing I really want everybody to remember, you know, is when we say plastics, we think about plastic bags and plastic that uh -huh. we can see. You know, and that plastic is already like film plastic, hard enough to capture. Mm -hmm. But you're talking about plastic that is so small that it's difficult to recapture, right? You would only be able to see them if they are grouped up in large groups. But what also is happening is that when it's in the ocean, those microplastics, because they're so small, they get carried up with the evaporated water from the ocean, which goes into the clouds. And then as you either rains or snows, the microplastic comes down from the clouds and then back onto the earth. So while it's in the water, we have fish that are eating microplastics unknowingly. So I saw a study a while ago that was saying that probably every piece of fish that we consume at this point has microplastics in it. Mm. And then there was a study from 2019 where these researchers were in the Arctic and they were collecting snow samples from the Arctic. And they said per liter of melted snow, there were 10,000 microscopic particles of plastic in it. 10,000 wow. per liter. And so it just lets you know that our, our water and our plant life and our animal life and even just ourselves, we are consuming so much plastic. You know, microplastics are harmful. You get bioaccumulation. So small little organisms consume these microplastics. Bigger organisms consume lots of microplastics. Fish consume those bigger organisms. We consume fish. You know, so then you have microplastics circulating throughout our entire ecosystem. And when they're in the body, they're harmful. They're physically harmful. And they can disrupt biological function, like of your immune system, and affect your growth and reproduction. Frankie Collective has been trying in their own way to make a huge dent on the problem of clothing and textile waste. And Drew says that over the past few years, they've really taken off. The conversation has also really grown on social media and through several documentaries like The True Cost, which came out in 2015, which highlights not only the devastating environmental impact of fast fashion, but it also highlights the human rights abuses that are happening due to the rising demand of cheap clothing. Yeah, it feels like now everybody's talking about it. I would say even like the last five years have been the biggest movement in that kind of realm of public perception that we need to be more sustainable. It has a whole following now, a whole sector of people, a whole group of people that are really like, again, there's levels to it, but are looking for it, demanding it. And that's the basis to everything. If the people want it, the people demand it, the people buy it, then it all falls into place because you literally vote for everything with your money. It's like so simple. So you got to put your money where your mouth is and you got to vote with your money. You know what this also makes me think of? What? Renting clothes. 
So services where you can rent clothes, like rent the runway, Newly, or Gwinny B. These services provide users access to some of the top fashion brands without the financial commitment and without having to go into the store. So for a flat rate or a monthly fee, you can go onto their website, you pick what you want, and then you wear it for, you know, whatever event that you have or whatever you need that clothing for, and then you send it back. And the cost varies. You can expect to spend anywhere from $60 to $200 per month. So it seems like a great way to keep your look looking fresh, you know, without creating Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a lot of waste, right? I mean, you would think. The rental market's fairly new, like Rent the Runway or Urban Outfitters has a rental program now, I believe. From a perspective of convenience and fashion, it's kind of dope because you're like, you can every month get a new box of put it in your closet, send it back, get a new box of and rotate it out. But a new study that came out in July in environmental research letters actually argues that renting and recycling clothes is less sustainable than just buying them. We can't win. We can't win. In this study, a group of research scientists in Finland calculated the greenhouse gas emissions connected to five different ways of consuming clothing. The main issue is that the way these companies are currently operating, there's a lot of transportation required to deliver rented clothes from the warehouse to your doorstep. And so that really adds up in terms of emissions. I don't think it's much more sustainable than producing clothing market, to be honest. And then that argument also travels over to like e-commerce in general. Everything's getting shipped. Everything's getting shipped, right? One garment, one t-shirt's getting shipped around the world, maybe a couple times, three times. So. Again, it's like, where do we draw the line? What is right for you? This goes back to fast fashion and slow fashion. Mm-hmm. Renting clothes is still based on cycling through the newest trends and sending clothes back when they're no longer in style. This is kind of like fast fashion following us no matter how hard we try to act <laughs> sustainably. We can't escape it. Scientists say that the most sustainable thing you can do is buy less clothes and wear them for longer. There's also things that rental companies can do to improve their emissions, like using forms of transport that are low to zero emissions. But that hasn't happened yet. Obviously, you have to be happy and get the cool shit that you want, but you also want to do it in the best way. It's like that is such a massive umbrella of opinions and arguments and facts and oil consumption and all these things. So I'm just going to say, like, you got to make that call for yourself. You know, and maybe you draw the line at regularly renting your day-to-day wardrobe. So maybe you decide, I'm only going to rent something for this really special event. You know, I want this one-of-a-kind vintage dress for my cousin's wedding. Right. Then you do your research and you decide what's best for you. I remember when something similar happened to you, From our food episode. Uh Uh-huh. We had talked about all these different things. You know, they were saying cow's milk, you know, it's bad for agriculture and the way that it's produced and all these things like that. So it's like not ethical to drink cow's milk. So I said, okay, I no longer drink cow's milk. I am now one of the elites. Now I drink almond milk, you know? And so me thinking that now I'm fancy and I'm with it and I'm helping the environment and I'm a better person. I go on Twitter. Hey y'all, I drink almond milk now. And then people were like, you drink almond milk Do you know how much water it takes to make one almond? That's so bad for the environment. I was like, well, dang, what am I supposed to do now? And they're like, you have to drink oat milk. And I was like, well, probably in six months, you're going to tell me that oat milk requires the blood of your first child to get the oats or something like that. I feel like I can't win. 
you can really end up driving yourself crazy trying to keep up with some of these things. You know, if it doesn't sit right with you, look it up, get the facts, figure out what works for you and your own life and just do the best that you can. You know, one thing we've been hearing a lot about lately is the global labor shortage, mm-hmm. which low key is tied to the global low wage issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are a lot of industries that are in a state of constant flux as companies struggle to find applicants and demand is just expected to continue to rise. Just in the U.S., job openings hit a record of 10 million in June of 2021. And then as of July, the overall unemployment rate was 5.4 percent. But it was even worse in the retail industry specifically because there it was 6.4 percent unemployment. Wow. And so that's just retail in the stores. That's not counting labor shortages in factories where clothes are being Mm -hmm. made, shortages in distribution, shortages with cargo ships and truck drivers who deliver clothing to the stores to be sold. And, you know, Christopher Mims from The Wall Street Journal and our guest from Mm -hmm. Lab 39 has a book that talks about that shortage, especially around truck drivers and transportation. It's called Arriving Today. So we asked Drew, how should we be framing this issue within the context of sustainability? And is there some way we might need to think about restructuring fashion overall when we're considering these shortages? When you look at used clothing and resale projections, it's it's going up. It's going crazy. There's been some like numbers put out that includes sneakers, which is a huge part of it, uh, luxury, uh, streetwear, and then say secondhand. The numbers projected for the next five years are like gonna quadruple, right? Because it's close to home, it's becoming more accessible. Like you said, we're so reliant on supply chains from Asia, from China and other Asian countries like Korea and Vietnam and other places. We're so reliant on those supply chains that if they shut down on us, on America in particular, I mean, Canada's the same, we're screwed, heavily screwed. What can we do in our lives to like, say, kind of help and get around that or try to help more local things do better? If you have the option to buy a product that somebody in your town made or somebody in China made, maybe buy it somebody in your town because that way it'll increase the demand for that locally that will eliminate a supply chain issue. But the other thing that Drew pointed out is that it's our responsibility as consumers to educate ourselves about what efforts a company is making to become more sustainable and environmentally friendly. Because even if a company is marketing itself as quote unquote sustainable, that doesn't always mean they're actually doing the work. Greenwashing is very prevalent now. And we sort of said how a lot of companies are jumping into the space of sustainable or eco-friendly in all these different ways. And the marketing is coming out so fast and heavy. Companies will market whatever works. They're A-B testing on you. They're throwing ads at you, whatever you like, they're gonna throw it at you harder. We really should be doing a little bit more research. This isn't that different from when you see foods in the grocery store marketed as natural. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? (laughs) Or even organic, but organic is just part of the brand name. Right, it'll be like organic, but with a K at the end. Like, come (laughs) on, baby. We know that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) That ain't organic. (laughs) Right. Again, voting with your dollar, but voting with your eyes and what you view and what you choose to acknowledge. And if you're going to buy something, maybe just do a little more research to see if that marketing was actually correct and stands up to your personal filter of what you decide is good for your own life. And that's something I can really get behind, TT. Me too. It's your personal filter. You can't change every single thing. It's going to be what matters most to you. 
it's not just about, you know, once every four years or every two years. You can every day be making a statement with how you place your money. Because that's exactly what shopping is if you break it down. Voting with your dollar. All right, it's time for one thing. Zakia, what's your one thing? My one thing is a book this week. It is Stop Telling Women to Smile, Stories of Street Harassment by visual artist Tatiana Fazlalizadeh. You can find her at T-L-Y-N-N-F-A-Z.com. Love that. And I will definitely be purchasing. My one thing this week is also a book. It's by Aja Barber, and it's right in line with what we've been talking about over the last couple of episodes. It's called Consumed, The Need for Collective Change, Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism. It is so good. So definitely pick that up as well. That's it for Lab 53 and a wrap on our episodes on fashion. Call us at 202-567-7028 and tell us what you thought. Or if you have an idea for a lab we should do this semester, tell us that too. We really love hearing from you. That's 202-567-7028. And don't forget, there's so much more for you to dig into on our website. There'll be a cheat sheet there for today's lab and additional links and resources in the show notes. Plus, you can sign up for our newsletter. So check it out at dopelabspodcast.com. Special thanks to today's guest expert, Drew Heifetz. You can find him on Instagram at Drew Heifetz. That's D-R-E-W-H-E-I-F-E-T-Z and at Frankie Collective. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast. And TT's on Twitter and Instagram at D-R underscore T-S-H-O. And you can find Zakia on Twitter and Instagram at Z said so. Dope Labs is a Spotify original production from Megaome Media Group. Our producers are Jenny Radelet Mast and Lydia Smith of Wave Runner Studios. Editing and sound design by Rob Smirciak. Mixing by Hannes Brown. Original music composed and produced by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiura. From Spotify, creative producers Candice Manriquez Wren and Corinne Gilliard. Special thanks to Shirley Ramos, Yasmin Afifi, Kamu Elolia, Till Kratke, and Brian Marquis. Executive producers from Mega O Media Group are us, TT Shodia and Zakia Watley. Mm-hmm.